So now we have this opportunity to listen to the Dhamma, so we should set our hearts on doing so. And uh, in listening to the Dhamma, we get to know about things and gain a deeper understanding that we had before. And so the benefits of this, of listening to these teachings of truth, are many. And uh, the things that we don't yet understand, we don't yet under, uh, know clearly, such as this path of practice, uh, we gain a deeper understanding of that. This path that involves both abandoning and cultivating. And so what is it that we abandon? So we all know well that actions of body and speech, which harm ourselves, harm others, that uh, we give these up. Any speech uh, that we do, words that we say, they need to be gentle words, they need to be kind, need to be of uh, benefit, pleasant to listen to, that don't cause disharmony. And uh, so we don't act in any way uh, which is outside of the precepts. And uh, it's the same with um, our actions of body as well. We keep those within the precepts. And then there are the thoughts that we think, uh, the feelings in the hearts, that uh, we don't allow these to cause harm. We don't follow any thoughts of ill will. We try to maintain or bring up right view, a belief in merit and in demerit, a belief in karma, that it is real. And so when Lumpur Cha first went to Wat Nambapong, uh, the monastery that he established, um, there were many people there who didn't believe in karma. And they believed more in spirits and ghosts. And uh, the society in the northeast of Thailand back in those days was like this. Um, <coughs> they uh, worshipped spirits. So Lumpur Cha, he taught them about the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, but it took time for this to gain effect uh, with the villagers. He sometimes asked them if they uh, believed in a next life, and some of them didn't believe. So he explained to them that, well, if there is a next life, and you do goodness, you abandon unskillful actions, you cultivate skillful actions, then in their next life you will experience happiness. And if there is no next life, then in this present life you'll experience happiness. But for those who uh, don't believe in this, or who don't follow this path, um, they don't devote themselves to abandoning uh, harmful acts and cultivating skillful acts, um, then, and they just follow all of the feelings which arise in their hearts. They don't hold to any standard, any ethical principles, and they cause a lot of harm, a lot of damage to other people, other beings. Then, in this present life, they won't experience happiness. And if there is a future life, if after die, after death, they continue living then they won't have any happiness there either. So this teaching allowed many of these villagers to abandon their wrong views and to cultivate and give rise to right views. It allowed them to believe in the tenets of Buddhism.
So we see that uh, the fully uh, self-awakened um, Buddha, um, that nowadays people make many images of him, and these are made from different materials. They can use gold and silver, they can use uh, clay or wood or uh, copper. And in various countries, uh, these Buddha images differ, they're not the same. And people follow their own faith, uh, the faith that each society has in each country. So the Buddha images that you find in Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka and China, Japan, these all differ from one another. Uh, but the purpose of them is for us to recollect the qualities of the Buddha, his great goodness, that he had this compassion which was limitless, which was boundless. And um, recollect his awakening on the 15th day of the sixth lunar month, that he gained this purity, this inner brightness. He was able to destroy all ignorance, all craving and clinging by his own efforts, that he didn't have any teacher to point him the way, but he was able to find this path and reach the end of it by himself. You could say that he was uh, the highest human being. And when he found this path of practice, then he taught it. He taught this way that leads out of suffering, that leads to truth. And it's a very subtle and deep teaching. And so no one else was able to realize this, was able to know this before. No one else was able to see into these qualities of inconstancy, stress, and not self. But the Buddha taught this path, and uh, those who follow this way, uh, who follow these teachings of virtue, of, uh, sorry, of uh, generosity, of virtue, and of wisdom, this uh, noble path that the Buddha taught, um, it takes them to abandoning uh, harmful acts and giving rise to skillfulness. And a very high form of merit of skillfulness is that of cultivating both mindfulness and samadhi, collectedness of mind. So when we listen to a teaching on the Dhamma like we are now, we should train um, to bring our mindfulness, to recollect our meditation objects, to bring our minds to peace, to bring them into samadhi. In order to take up this practice, however, we need effort. In our work, we need to bring up effort. We need to have a right intention, the intention to go or free ourselves from suffering. Um, that when we come to sit in meditation, uh, we're not causing any harm. We don't have the intention to harm any beings. We don't have the intention to find pleasure in the various things of this world. So this is something um, that all of us are able to do. Uh, we're able to uh, gain these states of samadhi. Uh, to come and practice like we are now. And they were able to do this meditation retreat. Um, this shows that we have this quality of relinquishment as well, of nekama. Uh, so when we chant uh, various verses, uh, such as Itipiso, the recollection of the Buddha, 
or the recollection of the Dhamma or the Sangha, um, any teaching of the Buddha, then at that very time what we're doing is um, ordaining internally, we're ordaining our own hearts. And so by taking up this practice, by having this quality of relinquishment, then this is inner ordination. And so by taking this inner ordination, the hearts become peaceful. They're not stirred up, they're not caught by liking or disliking. And they have this inner calmness uh, to them. In order to get there, we also need to rely upon our wisdom as well. So the Buddha had this great kindness and great compassion to teach the Dhamma. So his loving kindness was limitless. And he had uh, wisdom in his heart as well and this great purity that when he taught, he didn't want anything in return, that all he wished for was to help all beings to be relieved from suffering and just that. We may pay homage to the Buddha through offering flowers, to offering fragrances and incense, and this uh, is a form of merit. But what the Buddha wanted for us to do was to pay homage through our practice. And just like we all are coming together for this eight-day retreat. So we're on the seventh day now. And we've come together to study about our own minds, to gain an understanding of our own hearts, to develop merit. And a very high form of merit um, is that of cultivating mindfulness and samadhi, so wisdom can manifest. So when we talk about wisdom or panya within the Buddha's teachings, this Buddhist dispensation, um, what that means is knowledge to see the truth of how things are. And um, we can ask ourselves, well, why is it that we were born? And um, oh, sorry, we need to. So we need to use wisdom. Um, Ever since uh, we were born, we need wisdom in our studies, wisdom in the, the jobs that we do. So we need to use this wisdom in a worldly sense. But we also need to see that whether people have a lot of wealth, whether they have only a little wealth, whether they have great knowledge in worldly subjects or just a little bit, whether they gain a lot, whether they receive praise, um, that these things, that if, if these people don't train their minds, then they will still suffer. Because the cause for dukkha is still present within them. So those people who have faith, who get to know this already, who understand that craving and clinging are the causes for suffering, um, will come to try to understand suffering, this dukkha and try to understand uh, the cause for that dukkha and try to abandon that. And so they come to take up this practice to train their minds to gain deeper understanding, that which enables them to abandon craving and clinging. So suffering can't arise. And when they do this, then niroda, cessation, appears and the mind becomes empty and pure. So the Buddha taught that 
when he passed away, then the Dhamma, his teachings, would be his replacement. And when we contemplate these teachings, when wisdom arises, then we'll get to understand them within our own hearts. So when our minds are in a peaceful space, when they have samadhi, then we can teach our own minds to get to understand nature. We can ask ourselves, why were we born? And if we don't answer, then an ogre will catch us and eat us. And the ogre here is greed, hatred and delusion. But when we have wisdom come up, then we'll be able to cultivate our own minds, to make them better than they were before, to make them better than they were last life, last year, last month, make them better than they were yesterday. And uh, people who have faith can do this, they practice in this way. And by practicing in this way, uh, what we have is the inner qualities of a sotapanna. So a sotapanna has this firm intention, this focus, um, to gain uh, nibbana. They have uh, nibbana as the object of their hearts. And what that means is the state of non-clinging to anything, that that is the object of their hearts. They have this uh, focus, this intention, they hold this high ideal um, in this life to develop their minds higher and higher, to gain a pure emptiness. And so the Buddha, he taught all of us, and so we should follow these teachings, give rise to samadhi and use our wisdom. Uh, So there are some people who think a lot and they need to use their wisdom first to contemplate into the body, see it as being something unattractive, like I've explained before, that the hair of the head, the hair of the body, the nails, the teeth, the skin, these are things which are not beautiful. They cover over the body. These non-beautiful things cover over other things which aren't beautiful. And uh, when our minds have this uh, samadhi, then some quite amazing things can happen. We can look and reflect upon this body and it will appear to us as just being a very thin bag, a clear see-through bag. And uh, wherever we cut that, then it will easily rip and we'll see that inside there's just blood. It's just a bag of maggots, it's just a bag of urine or of feces or of bones. And those bones uh, decay, they dissolve and they turn into liquid. So we should contemplate into this bag of our bodies, perceive that it isn't something beautiful, that inside this bag there are unattractive things. And wisdom arises here from our contemplation. Dhamma appears, we see into this clearly. We see that uh, we can observe this body as it decays, as it dissolves, as it disappears, and see that really doesn't have a self to it, it's all anatta. So when the mind is in a peaceful state, then maybe Dhamma can appear for us. We may see clearly into the truth. A deep knowledge appears into the heart that really there is, this thing doesn't have a self to it, it doesn't have a me, there's no other there. 
when we see this, then we see the Dhamma, we see the teachings of the Buddha, this knowledge appears for us. Our hearts turn empty from all attachment. And this initially is temporarily, we gain this temporary Nibbana. But as this temporary Nibbana appears more and more frequently, um, then we uh, use our contemplation and contemplate with wisdom. And then we see things uh, more and more clearly, more and more often. And we do this every single day. As our practice develops in this way, then samadhi becomes continuous. Uh, we're able to sustain that. And whether we are standing, walking, uh, sitting, lying down, no matter what we're doing, then the mind is in a state of samadhi. And it's possible to maintain upajara samadhi, neighborhood samadhi in this way. Then when we come to do formal meditation, the mind enters into one-pointedness. And uh, joy and happiness come up um, at this point. And there's no ill will present in the mind. Uh, there's nothing which stirs up the heart at this point. And then when we retract from the state of collectedness, um, then we can contemplate into the body in order to see it clearly, seeing it as just being a bag of blood, a bag of bones, uh, a bag of pus. And the heart becomes empty through this clear knowledge that we gain. At this point, then effort arises uh, on its own accord. It comes up by itself. We don't have to force ourselves to do sitting meditation, to do walking meditation. Um, that these things, they'll happen uh, on their own accord. We'll want to practice a lot. We'll want to chant a lot. We'll be able to do this without letting up. And uh, we know that when we do these things, um, then our hearts feel full, they feel joyful. And uh, when we contemplate, then we see into the nature of emptiness. And if that's the case, then we can take up this emptiness as our object of our minds. We can remember it. Remember that emptiness is like this. It's a state where the mind isn't attached to anything. It's not clinging to any object. And we know that all physicality or mentality, even material things outside of ourselves, um, they are all empty and the mind becomes very at ease. There's a lot of joy and happiness there. So this is a happiness which doesn't depend upon external things, which has no worry, no anxiety. So we recollect this state and try to become skillful at it. And so we can use that to enter into samadhi or when we enter into samadhi, then we can bring up this recollection as well. Bring up this object of emptiness um, in this way. Or we can contemplate more actively, use our thinking, telling ourselves that it's inappropriate to attach to anything at all. And now is the time to practice, so put all these things down. And our hearts become empty, wisdom arises, and this is the method of using wisdom to cultivate samadhi. And there's an emptiness that appears, that of Nibbāna. And when this emptiness is always present in the heart, the mind is pure, then this is the state of an arahant. If we see this emptiness clearly, um, and there aren't any doubts, then this is the state of a sotapanna. So a sotapanna isn't born um, for an eighth time 
or eight more times in this world uh, because they've gotten to know and understand this world with clarity. They see that whenever we're born into this world, then we will inevitably experience old age, sickness and death. That any wealth that we gain, we're not able to take that with us when we die. And just spending our time finding this wealth is a waste of our time when it just brings us to suffering. So we come back to ourselves and uh, realize that what's important is to find inner wealth as well. That uh, we need to gain this inner wealth. <coughs> and so for lay people in the Buddha Sasana, um, it's possible to work, to have a family, and to see the Dharma as well. Sorry, sorry, for lay people in this Buddhist religion, it's possible to work, to live a family life, and also to have a mind which sees the Dhamma. And um, some people can attain to the Dhamma by listening to a teaching. And uh, this happened uh, from people listening to the Buddha's teachings and also the teachings of his awakened disciples. And so for Ananda Pindaka, uh, during the time of the Buddha, all he heard was that a Buddha had appeared in the world and there was such great joy that filled up his heart and this stayed in his heart throughout the entire night. And as soon as dawn came, he went out to see the Buddha. And the Buddha taught him on this path of generosity, of morality and of meditation, of inner cultivation. And he also taught him about the Four Noble Truths. He was able to attain to the state of Sotapanna. And so when we listen to the teachings of the Buddha with a still mind, then knowledge can arise. Uh, We can study these teachings um, well. And then having studied them, then we put them into practice. We have a mind that is ready to do this, ready to use these teachings. And uh, then we can gain understanding into them that all things are empty, that all things are in constant distress for the not-self. And in doing this, um, then we become very close to the Buddha, that if we have mindfulness, then we're close to the Buddha. And whenever we're mindful, um, then wisdom can arise, we can gain this clear knowledge. And we understand that the real Buddha it wasn't in his physical body that the Buddha he used and depended upon these four elements of earth, water, fire and air. Uh, But this really was just a natural phenomena and this is just the conventional Buddha. And uh, this is what many people um, make Buddha images about, uh, or of, is this uh, conventional Buddha, things that we suppose to be the Buddha. But the real Buddha is there within the Dhamma, is there in his uh, Dhammakaya, the Dhamma body, that whenever we see the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. So we contemplate all things as being in constant stressful and not self. We use our wisdom consistently, seeing all things as being empty, that they're not really here, they don't actually have a name, that there really isn't any religion, There's just this pure emptiness. And this is a universal truth, a universal principle, that all things are empty. 
But if our minds don't see this, then we take things as being self. Uh, we believe that there is a me and I have possessions. So this shows that our hearts are still deluded. Uh, we are born into this world because or due to delusion. And then we live our lives in this world through delusion. And if we don't practice, then we will, we will die in a deluded state as well. And um, when there is this delusion present, uh, then we will attach to things, we'll cling to things here in the present moment. Believe that they are me, they are mine. When we come to practice, however, then in the beginning we gain an understanding uh, that we can't take the things of this world with us, that these things, they aren't actually me, they aren't actually mine. Uh, we gain a knowledge that there isn't really a me. And so when we do this, then we see into the Dhamma. And in seeing into the Dhamma, then we see our true self. We see that there is uh, not a self. And these, this state is uh, that of one who has seen into the truth. But if we take things in terms of me and mine, then our views are deluded, we're attached to conventions, we don't see the truth. But in real reality, these things aren't there. They're just not there. But when we don't understand this, then greed, hatred, and delusion appears. We die through delusion. We are born again through delusion. And then we, di we die deluded again. A Sotapanna, however, sees uh, that things are not self. And um, even though they still have greed, that greed is kept within the bounds of virtue, of morality, that uh, they don't act in ways, um, they don't, um, that greed doesn't flow out so as to harm others. They don't get involved in corruption, for instance, because they see that there's no benefit, it's useless, that when we die we can't take these things with us. And so one of the maids of Queen uh, Samawadi at the time of the Buddha, uh, she was quite corrupt, this maid. And uh, she would get, uh, we could say, a hundred baht um, every day in order to buy flowers. But she would only buy sixty baht worth of flowers and she would swindle the rest. But then she listened to the teachings of the Buddha, to his Dhamma, and understanding into the truth arose, and she realized um, or understood this path of abandoning uh, harmful acts and giving rise to skillful acts. Her heart uh, became pure and she was able to reach the state of Sotapanna. And then she taught these teachings to Queen Samawati. And the queen, along with 500 of her attendants, um, all attained to Sotapanna. And then after this, uh, there were many, many flowers in the palace. It was full of flowers uh, because uh, this maid was no longer corrupt. And so for people living in the world, if they have this moral integrity, then they'll see that even if they were to gain millions of dollars through corrupt acts, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't want that money because it comes from corruption. Um, they just use their wealth in a way that allows them to 
live this life. And if they act and they think in this way, then they have these inequalities of a sotapanna. They have the barami, or they have this aspect of barami of a sotapanna. So for all of us, we have generosity, we have sacrifice as something that's normal for us. We have uh, merit in our hearts, we give rise to skillfulness uh, consistently. And then we come to practice to destroy delusion. And uh, taking up this practice and being intent on it is another inner quality, uh, a form of goodness of a sotapanna. Um, that there are these things which bind our hearts, uh, this sakaya ditti, the self you, for instance, this wrong view, taking things as actually being a self. Uh, so we come to question this, to look into our body, for instance, seeing it as just being bones, as just being skin, as blood. And this is for the sake of destroying the sense of self, from destroying attraction and aversion, from removing the things which delude us, taking these bodies as a being, as a me, as a mine. And sotapanas are able to destroy this view. They don't have doubts anymore. And it's possible for this to arise for us as well. That even though we may have a lot of work, a lot of duties, um, we still practice, we still train our minds and do this without letting up, without... Uh, or do it consistently, build up goodness, abandon harmful acts, uh, bring skillfulness to completion, uh, bring the mind to a state of purity and brightness. And this state of inner brightness and purity is that which is freed from attachment, that of Nibbāna. So those people who have wisdom should use this uh, to train their minds. Uh, that perhaps just trying to go the way of samadhi, of inner stillness, can be quite difficult for them. So they should use their wisdom, uh, what we call uh, dhamma vijaya, this analysis, this focus in an aspect of the dhamma, taking up one teaching and turning through that, looking at it, such as sabe dhamma anatta, that everything is not self. We can contemplate this. Look into the things of this world, ask ourselves, are they permanent? The things that we use, all the things around us, the things that we claim to own, are these really permanent? Do they need to deteriorate? So all of us probably have some form of transport. We have a car or something to travel around in. And uh, we should contemplate that as well. Contemplate all these external material things. And maybe we'll gain a clear insight into them. Uh, we can see that everything um, outside us, even the things which humans have constructed, or the things of nature, um, that there's nothing real to them. That all of them are inconstant, they all change. And then we come back and uh, bring this reflection back upon our own bodies, these bodies that we have been born into. Is there a being there? Is this actually me? Is there an other there? Is this constant? Is this permanent? And do we see that? And do we see that the people who live in this world for over a hundred years are very few? They do exist, but they're very difficult to find. And we contemplate that in a hundred years from now, 
everyone, everyone listening, will not be here any longer in this world. Even the one giving this Dharma talk will no longer be here. All of us will have disappeared. So we try to see this world clearly um, in this way. And um, the reason that we're not able to see this or people get uh, deluded um, is because there are new people who are born into this world. And um, if we don't include those new births, then in a hundred years from now, all beings, every human, every animal, will have disappeared. We only stay here temporarily. So we use our wisdom to see into this nature of not-self, that things are empty, there's no me, there's no mine. Uh, but it's delusion which brings us to see, take things in terms of me and mine, which gets us lost in the sense of self. And um, so when we have the sense of self, we should try to see into its true nature. We should use our wisdom, and this uh, can lead us into uh, peace. So we use wisdom to develop samadhi. And then when the mind is empty already, um, then we can bring that back uh, to cultivate samadhi further. And here clear knowledge can arise that really there is no true self. That all the bodies in this world, uh, there's, no, there's no reality to them. And this knowledge appears clearly for us. That we shouldn't attach to anything and whatever we attach to, that very thing becomes the cause of suffering for us. That whenever there is clinging, then this is the cause for suffering. So Lumpur Cha, he taught us to contemplate and let go, uh, to use our wisdom in this way, that this is the path of wisdom. So sometimes we listen um, and study these teachings of Lumpur Cha, and uh, these teachings, they give us a lot of benefit. And um, so we gain these teachings that we should be generous, um, we should sacrifice, uh, we should maintain our moral precepts. And this here is heaven. Um, but this heaven can also become the cause of suffering as well. So we need to uh, teach ourselves with wisdom. And there was one time that Lumbucha taught about this, um, that there was a man who in England, uh, painted or drew a very beautiful picture of Lumpucha, and many people praised him as to how beautiful this picture was. And uh, so Lumpucha, when he saw this picture, he too said that it was very beautiful, and this man was very happy, he was overjoyed. Uh, but then Lumpucha went to teach him, he went to give him some wisdom. And so he asked him, well, if I took a sharp object, and slashed this picture, how would you feel? He didn't give the man the answer. He didn't say, you'd be suffering, right? But what he asked him was, how would you feel? And so this man had wisdom, and he reflected, and he said, well, I would suffer. And so this was a lot of merit that this man had created to uh, paint or draw this picture, uh, but Lumpucha was also giving him some wisdom as well, getting him to cultivate wisdom. Uh, that when this picture was destroyed, that he would suffer if he attached to it. 
So by contemplating, uh, what we're doing is uh, seeing things, all things, as being empty. And when we can do this, then the mind doesn't suffer. So for those people who have a lot of wisdom, that their minds are inclined towards wisdom, they should use this to contemplate. Because if they just sit and try to bring up these words of Buddha, Dhammo, Sangha, then it can be quite difficult. So instead, use this wisdom as the foundation of the practice, as the central pillar for the practice, until the mind can become well-established in peace. And then you can go back and look at the breath, bringing the mind to even more peace, and then come back again to the body, seeing it as being empty, seeing the Dhamma right here. And here we're able to abandon uh, self-view, we're able to abandon skeptical doubts. And the mind can really come together and permanently cut off all the defilements. It can destroy all delusion into me and into them. And if we do this, then there's no eighth more life. So may all of you be sincere in this. May you all succeed in your practice of the Dhamma.